Welcome back. It is Six Pack Lafayette and Paul Mamridzan. My man. How's your weekend? <laughs> somewhat tamed. I was going to say, it's been somewhat tame. Yeah. I'm, uh, as I like to tell my friends, I'm in hibernation mode as we get ready for Nats now. Yeah. So, neither one of us are drinking leading into Nats, yeah, which no, is probably good. No drinking, bed fairly early. It's weird, man. To, to wait, to go to sleep early, like to, to fall asleep before midnight is, what? I went to bed at 10.30 on a Saturday last night. That is so... I woke up at 9.30 today. Yeah, I'm waking up, and the weird thing is waking up fresh as a daisy. Yeah. Being like, wow, I could work out, like, real quick. Whereas usually I'm like, oh, God, here we go. It's just yeah, it's another... Definitely, it's definitely not a... Uh, so much more productive. Yeah, that's exactly it. For someone, for people who say they don't drink, now I'm like, you probably are so much... If you don't... If you're like... 25 years as an adult don't drink never like here and there that's it you probably had that in that quarter century how much more shit did you get done oh yeah no, I'd be infinitely more productive if I never drank and you know these next five weeks just kind of prove that point but on the flip side you gotta live life exactly because I tell you what there's been some nights I wouldn't trade them for the world you know oh, what yeah, I mean? like even, it's, and even on this you know the no drinking policy or whatever we are going on right now just as we're going into Nats there's some nights when I'm cooking dinner or whatever, or I'm eating dinner, and you're just like, God, I'd love a beer or a glass yeah. of wine or something. Just, just a little something. Just a little. Just a taste. Just let me wipe my beak. On the flip side also, after Nats, when you do have a cocktail, and, and we both have to watch diets for um, going into Nats, when you can eat what you want, have a cocktail, it tastes so, that nice. So much. It is like on cloud nine, man. You are like so much better. Oh yeah, that beer never tasted so good. That glass of wine never tastes so good. That whatever the hell you burger would eat. or whatever, yeah. you, whatever your post meat. Yeah. Food. What is your post meat food usually? And I know it changes up, but like if you had to go right now, pick okay. what we're going for after dinner, so after meat. So let me just okay. I could probably smash pizza every day in my life, but like my macros right now are pretty good. Where I could eat pizza fairly often, anyways. I'm not in the situation like because I'm walking ten thousand steps a day, uh, minimum, and um, I'm tracking that, and that's a huge. Before Fitbit, let me tell you something. When I just like I'll walk on my lunch or after after uh, work, like just do a walk, and that's all I knew I did. The body weight still wasn't moving around. When you get more defined with it and say ten thousand steps, so I could be in. Inside, in the house, be like, let me get another couple thousand steps. Just run around doing shit. Yeah. Literally, I'll walk around in the house, belt them off if I have to at the end of the night. So I'll always hit 10,000 regardless. And sometimes I'll have walked on my lunch and after work. And you notice at the end of the night, it doesn't mean the same amount, even though you did those two extra walks. Your day-to-day does a lot of walking or non-walking. So there is an influx of walking that you're not even aware of. So just, if it's tougher to make weight, just doing those added walks isn't really enough. When you start counting, you start realizing, holy shit, how flying blind I was. So when you take that intangible out and you say, I'm doing 10,000 and I know exactly 10,000. Now, making weight has never been easier. Now, eating more than I ever have, and walking is easy, obviously, especially when you break it up. 10 minutes here, 10, 10 minutes there. 10 minutes 30 like it is lately, but... I wear like seven pairs of clothing, and you know this. I'm I know. notorious, man. I wear 
I'll wear, like, obviously underwear, but I'll wear shorts, hospital pants, jeans, t-shirt, two sweaters, two jackets, gloves, a balaclava, a hoodie, gloves, uh, and winter shoes, and then I'll obviously be rocking the podcast. And I feel like I'm still inside. That's how goddamn warm I am. But man, I take this uber serious. I hate cold, but I got two flipping dogs that I have to walk every single day. They yeah. will not stand it. They'll be bouncing off walls if, if, if I don't. So this is the life I, you know, such is the life I, I chose. It's worth it if you met my dogs. But, um, but yeah, in terms of like uh, making weight, so going back to like the foods, I'm actually able now and also do like jujitsu two to three times a week. And that yeah, burns. Yeah, yeah, get to the food. All right, so so, yeah. and so I burn so many calories. I can fucking eat so much right now, man. I'm a buck eighty six this morning. I could be a buck ninety another four pounds. I'm eating like three thousand two hundred calories. I'll eventually, like, I'll be up to around four thousand calories. Dude, you gotta like. I can eat like a motherfucker. I hate to brag. I hate when people brag about how much they're allowed to eat. I was gonna say then it, got me, then it got me tracking calories and that, and I'm at like 27 right now, which is it's, still not, which is not bad. I would shoot myself, but that's fine. You're that's being optimistic. Fine. You're a cheerful guy. That's great. It's not bad. I'm but living. unlike you, I've got another like three kilo to go before in the it's, next five weeks. It's. I'm. I'm telling you, for anyone, my advice would be, grab a Fitbit and just calculate some shit. It's easy. You know, walking's easy. Little things like that is easy. And you're not going to burn muscle mass by walking here. And there. Like, it's 10,000 steps isn't as much as you think. And um, in terms of managing, my God, it's easier. So, when I think about um, after the meat, having a big meal, right, right now, I'm not trying to be an asshole because I know you're dieting. I could smash a big meal. I could fit it in. I could smash pizza. I had pizza last night, man. I had pizza. <laughs> I had uh, pasta every day. I'm a fat fuck. I was going to uh, say, I can't, I, I can't even fat shame you because you're a weight, and I'm not. <laughs> That's the problem. That's like, you're like, God damn it. But I can't have cocktails because that, obviously, it, it, it eats away at muscle mass, hits the nervous system, it's just, and it makes you slow, sluggish, lazy. Nothing good about it. So that's the one thing I want to do is have cocktails. You were, we were talking about work-life balance. You went to see a friend slash client you're programming for. Um, and you, you said, holy sh... Because you, you were going to work out in his office. So this is something I've seen a couple times now, whether it's, you know, I've seen it in my own career and now another friend's office as well. And we're not going to name office names or people or anything like that. Yeah. But so often now you're seeing this and it's, I find it really cool, but at the same time, kind of a disturbing trend. Yeah. Where offices are going out and they're putting in things like fitness facilities, you know, in his case, that had like a virtual driving range into place. It's got a video game section. Jesus. Like, it's got beer fridges. What? Yeah. And I've seen this in a couple different places that I've interviewed at now. Or been to myself, whether it's, you know, for work or... Yeah. And it's unbelievably cool, in my opinion. But on the flip side, you realize the fact that companies are doing this because they want to keep you there longer and longer. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a 12-hour day. Yeah. But why do you need to go home? And that's exactly it. You want to work out? Well, just work out. Take a break, work out, but come back to work. You want to, yeah, yeah. You just, you, it's, yeah, I, I get it. Because you hear about, is it Google offices or some bullshit where More people are committing suicide, jumping off of the fucking roof, and they have nets catching them on the side of the roof because they're like, you're stuck there. But, hey, we got squash courts, 
basketball, whatever you want yep. inside, weight rooms. There's places with like laundry facilities now with everything. Like cobblers on site for oh, people sounds, to get like shoe like, repair and stuff. Sounds like, like a resort. Yeah. Sounds like you never want to leave. Why are people jumping off the goddamn roof? And you have nets to catch them. Because it's like the black mirror. Where it's like, come in here, it's an utopian paradise. It's uh, Yeah, it sounds like the greatest work environment. Why are you doing this, though? It's like the uh, the lady who caught that kid. This is a fairy tale. And was kept feeding him sweets and treats. Getting him fatter and fatter. And then he realized, hang on a second. You're going to fucking eat me. Yeah, you're talking about <laughs> so that's Hansel and Gretel. That's right. Yeah. This is like the Hansel and Gretel tale. And that's exactly, you know what, that is probably the best analogy I could think of. Because on one end, like, I mean, you know, I go into that as an observer and I'm like, this place is fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, I want to work here, hell. Yeah. Until you realize the expectation is... You're working 10, 12-hour days. You're leaving, no, you're leaving at 10 hours. Are you checking out early, Paul? Oh, okay. No, that's fine. fine. What do you need? What's not in the facility? What? Yeah, that's fine. But, uh, one second, I'm just going to message... But on the flip side, especially for our culture as well, where we're dealing with, like, I mean, you're driving in and out of, like, let's say Toronto or another big city, and traffic is so shitty. Well, that's also You're fact. also able to spend more time there, do some shit, hang out with people, so, so, smash some weights, have some food or whatever you want. Yeah. So there's... I, I can see the devil's advocate side both, like, going both ways on this. Um, so if it is, like, look, would you rather spend three hours in traffic... Or one hour in traffic, you're still getting home at the exact same time, but you already got your workout yeah. out the way, you already got your dinner out the but way, you, whatever. But you know you're coming home and you're basically going right to bed because day's over. And then you're going right back into that building the next day. The flip side, of course, is, is your expectation eight hours, not it's ten, it's twelve hour days, it's whatever hour days. You're on call, you're yeah. ours. We got you. We got you. That's tough. It's tough. You're like, not paid salary, like, you're paid salary. Because you're, yeah. isn't, because you're hours... Who the fuck knows? Well, no, because, yeah, your hours are, you know, 37 and a half or 40, depending on your work environment. I got news for you, bud. It's never the case. Your hours are 24-7. <laughs> That's... But, yeah, it is tough, man. It is, um... I, you And if you want a high-paying job, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Like, you get paid, you want that salary, well, you know what you're buying into. Don't complain yeah. later. And don't get me wrong, like I said, I, I drank that Kool-Aid as well. I... I've gone gone for those jobs. I'm going for those jobs. Like it's, yeah, it's attractive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the dream is, do you want what? Wait, what year do you want to retire at, Paul? I mean, no, you know that's a rhetorical question. Yeah, I was actually answering. I was going to say thirty five right now, like thirty <laughs> six. Yeah, exactly. But that's what they're saying, right? You get to retire early. You just got to grind now. Yep. But uh, just make sure you don't have kids, and then the whole fucking thing changes, and you work until you're seventy five. Right. <laughs> But anyways, all right, let's give these, um, we have a, a bit of a, a special episode, okay? I got contacted by the strength guys, and they said, we have Nicola and John, who are athletes, doing something special in Zimbabwe, and I checked out Nicola's profile. Uh, this young lady, I think she's got three degrees, studied at six different universities, uh, been to 50 different countries. Um, just an absolute, like, and started up, starting programs up in Africa, like on the other side of the world, and has, ex- and was just voted top 30 under 30, oh, it's an international award. No, not just her hometown. Yeah, for humanitarian efforts. Yeah, humanitarian board. efforts for gender equality. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's one of these powerlifting ambassadors that you're proud of. 
You know, and, and that are out there literally changing the world with what they do. You know, people like, don't get too into powerlifting. It doesn't change the world. Well, well it, yeah, it can. Yeah, apparently it can. It's a very interesting story. I'm not going to do it justice. I need to bring them on to tell this story. Yeah, so I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited for this one. I am. I'm pretty excited to hear this. Yeah, I am. I don't even know what the expectations I have. Like, I don't know what it would even be like. Yeah. No, I'm just excited to just sit back, listen, and... Yeah, like, I'm going to have a lot of questions as well, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. I mean, I just can't wrap my head around. Going to Zimbabwe, how did this start? You know, how did this out of, like, from an idea to funding this to now going into several countries? Just, it's crazy. How it's sparking. She's a young woman, by the way. She's, uh, like, I... It's hard to tell off picture, but it looks like she's in her early 20s and already done all this. You yeah. know, like well, the maturity that, like, like... Clearly she's under 30 anyways. Yeah, yeah well, there you go. <laughs> that's, I, those powers, I, that's those powers. That's those powers. I was going to say, I did the math. That's right. So without further ado, let's give them a ring. Yeah. I'm my last name. That, well, you know what? Paul, Paul's Italian. You're Italian last name, right, Nicola? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Paul's Italian. I still oh, can't pronounce. I still can't pronounce it properly. You are a Canadian Italian, Paul. You're letting people down. I am terrible. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, Paul Marinzan, how do you pronounce your last name, Nicola? Uh, Pavilioniti. Pavilion. Pavilioniti. Say it, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Say it, Paul. Why are you putting me on the spot? That's like right, man. Pavilioniti. <laughs> oh, he says it like he's fucking Irish. For God's sake. Um, and and your last you... name, John? Dowling. Okay, well, that's you. I got that. I got that one, too. Bam! John Downing. Uh, you thank- messed that up. Did something wrong. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, thank you very much for coming on. Just for everyone listening, so the Strength Guys, who we've had on, and several athletes with the Strength Guys, um, obviously like a super coaching power team there, and had reached out and said, you guys might want to hear this story. And I'd, I'd seen, Nicola, I'd seen you on um, your Instagram uh, selfies, or no, sorry, stories, not selfies. And my girlfriend, that was, yeah, totally. There we go, messed that up already. But, and my girlfriend was like, you got to check this out. And um, I've been seeing what you've been, like you were in Zimbabwe and you had a lot of cool pictures and footage with uh, people from Zimbabwe and training there. But I didn't know exactly the whole story behind it. But I remember thinking, like with a, with a name like um, Stories Not Selfies and you're in Zimbabwe, I knew you were doing stuff. Like, for real stuff. You know, you weren't just interested in, in the surface stuff. And I was like, it's going to be something interesting. So when I got this email and it said, like, you guys probably want to check this out. And I got a, just a snippet, just a taste of here's what we're doing. I was like, holy freaking smokes. Off the top, Nicole, how old are you? I am 24. Oh, and how old are you, John? 28. So this is what exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. By the time I was 24, did nothing like this. Where uh, I mean, it's just crazy how mature you guys are to have already done so much. Pretty sure at 24, I just finally learned how to cook or something. Yeah, man, like well, how, exactly. <laughs> and um, I did. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I did a quick snippet of like I hopped on your IG, Nicole, and seen you have three degrees, been to 50, 50 nations. Um, yeah. And already uh, top 30 under 30 by which organization? Um, uh, for international development. International and development for gender uh, equality, was it? Your work? Uh, yeah, that's what I was recognized for. And you're 24 years old, which makes me feel terrible about myself. <laughs> yeah, but, pretty much. Uh, I gotta start doing more. But uh, so I'm hyping this up, but with no further ado, um, I think let's let's dive into this exactly what it is 
how did it start? And uh, let's take it from there. Awesome. Oh, God. Can we go first? <laughs> <laughs> I can mention the story a little bit after. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. There we go. So, uh, to be honest, the way Nicole and I met, it was about a year and a half after Live for Life started. And uh, for her, it was a big leap of faith reaching out um, to contact us because it dealt with her masters. But in terms of how the organization got started was in 2015, I went to the country uh, just to do sports work with youth. Uh, in these communities. So, you know, we're doing basketball, we're doing soccer, volleyball, lots of different stuff. Um, just there on like a sports missions trip. Um, I was about to leave the country and I didn't think I would ever be going back. And then I was walking around the corner of this community center there and I heard iron hitting the floor. And all of us that have ever been to a gym, we know what that sound is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I stumbled you know, walk over there, have no idea what I'm about to walk into. And I walk into this little small back weight room, which we all know now is Glenora um, Community Center. And I saw guys lifting. And it was at that moment where my mind just starts blowing up out of control, having all these ideas. And I'm like, I think I figured out how I'm going to come back to Zimbabwe and why I want to be here so often. And so that was kind of like the birth of Live for Life. And that was literally 30 minutes before I was jumping on the plane to head back to the United States. And so it was kind of like this aha moment um, that really brought all of this to life. And the people that I met on that first trip, um, Indu, as well as all the other people in Glenora, we still see them on the regular when we go there. A lot of them are still a part of it. Through them, we met Audrey, who does most of the work there now for us who's an amazing human individual. Um, and then, you know, I've been there, what, every summer since. I uh, keep going back. Uh, I'm a teacher, so my summers are off, and that's how I like to spend them, you know, giving back and growing the sport. Um, and then it was the second year where, you know, Nicola reached out to me, and I'll let her pick up there. Yeah, so I guess I'm a Canadian powerlifter. I've been powerlifting now for four years. Um, I've always had a really big heart and traveled a lot, and so I was doing a dual degree in international humanitarian aid and peace and conflict studies, and I was really interested in combining my studies with like my powerlifting, so I was looking at doing a master's thesis project, yeah. and so I reached out to John, and I was like, hey, your organization is kind of cool. Um, I was wondering if I could do my thesis on Lift for Life, and studying how powerlifting can be used as an avenue to provide humanitarian assistance. So <laughs> I started chatting with John a little bit more and booked a flight to Zimbabwe and stayed there for four weeks and did my master's thesis there and absolutely fell in love with the whole project and lived for life. And I've been putting my research into action ever since. <laughs> it's so, um, I mean, how many times, like powerlifting, a lot of people feel like, you know, they talk about powerlifting or like sports in general and like, it's not, look, don't take it too seriously. You're not going to change the world here. Like, you know, mm -hmm. but this is a story where you're literally making a huge change. And through powerlifting, you know, it's a little bit refreshing to say the least. Um, what was exactly when you're doing your master's thesis? Like, it was, it's a bit, it was a bit of a leap of faith just reaching out to John, but hopping on a plane and going <laughs> out there, you know, to sit by the way. To a guy she's never met. Guys she's <laughs> never met. You know, was your family like, whoa, what, what, what is this? And then what was really like the plan? Like um, in terms of how you were going to do the change, you know, like in terms of what the goal was when you got out there? 
And my family, like, I've always been kind of crazy. <laughs> okay. We're not I've traveled lots, I guess, as you've been able to tell. I did my master's at three different universities across Europe. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> travel isn't really new to me, but obviously it's a little bit weird going to a country you've never been to before, let alone, like, a third world country. Yeah. Um, I really went in with an open mind. I didn't really have, like, a specific change that I wanted to do, but rather, like, see what the community needed and what was already being done so that we could grow on the strength and what was working. Mm. Uh, I don't believe in, like, going to a community and, like, being like, oh, you have to do this, but rather working with them and, like, building partnerships and focusing on what they need. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Instead of yeah. going out there, going in there as an outsider thinking, this is what you guys need. Let me try to fit this square and it might be a circle problem. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, this is it. Trust me. Well, from your home in Canada, you, know, you devised this idea, which in theory. So when you did land in Zimbabwe, um, for people like, I'm going to assume 99% of people listening to this haven't been there. I'm going to assume even higher. What is Zimbabwe like? Because right now I have... I, I would be completely ignorant to be able to tell you what Zimbabwe is like for anyone listening. Yeah. Um, I know like a few stats off the top of my head and stuff. It's like a pretty crazy country with like the government and stuff right now. There's a lot of instability as you largely hear on the news and things. Um, there's crazy fuel shortages and sh- food shortages. Um, the unemployment rate is estimated at around like 90%. Holy smokes. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, 30% of children are malnourished. Like, 75% live under the poverty line. Uh, HIV AIDS is a big issue there. And, like, they just don't have, like, the healthcare system and education system like we do here. So, it's a tough context to be in. Yeah. Like, lots yeah. of communities don't have running water and electricity and stuff. And, just a lot of uncertainty. <laughs> so no running water, no electricity. I guess I'm assuming like uh, sanitary systems and all that. Like very much, I, I'm, 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 I wanted to say, I don't want to say primitive, but you know, like just the lifestyle is nothing like we know. Very harsh. Oh yeah, it'd be a huge shock coming from Canada or US like to walk into that sort of, obviously that sort of lifestyle. Like it's... And the government, I guess... Um, like in terms of the uncertainty with the government, how much is the government involved within these communities from community to community? Or is there some communities that are like basically non-contact with each other? I mean, I, I think the government is, they're involved, but it's kind of like they just don't do anything. Um, prior to us, I mean, they had a presidential switch last, was that last November, Nicola? Um, yeah, but... Before that, they had the same president since the 80s, which was oh. Mugabe. What? And, uh, you know, that was part of the issue of transition and the fact that he just wasn't really doing a lot for his country. Um, and, you know, Harare, where we always fly into the capital, you know, you could walk down the street and imagine how that city could look like any city that we visit today. But it's the fact that there's just been this lack of upkeep and infrastructure over so many years that has made it kind of spiral out of control. Mm. Like money doesn't go where it needs to go, kind of. Yeah. Corruption that way and stuff. So mm-hmm. funding doesn't go towards <laughs> building the roads or like helping the healthcare or school system or whatever. It how ends many up pe- in someone else's pocket or yeah, something. yeah. And, and how many people would live in Zimbabwe? 
Oh man, it's... is it densely populated or? The the, the capital is because it's like overpopulated now. Is that right? And it's yeah. bi- it's like a it's like a populous city, but on the outskirts, it's it's a whole lot less populated. Like the city that the biggest capital would look like a normal city, kind of on the surface, or? Yeah, it would. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the country of Zimbabwe has sixteen point five million total. Wow. So it's pretty heavily populated for its its landmass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then like the main capital city is one point five million. So Harare is the capital. Wow. Okay. So when you guys landed, did you, have you have you previous to this ever been in a third world country facing these type of challenges? I I had not. Uh, Nicole, with her background, has, um, and so I I know when she first came to Zimbabwe, it was hard to kind of grasp what was going on in Zimbabwe in terms of the poverty because it on face value it doesn't look like there isn't a tough a situation as it is and then when you really start diving in you start to see where the problems are at and and um so had you ever seen any kind of third world countries like this nicola before you had shown up in zimbabwe yeah i've traveled africa quite a bit i lived and worked in kenya um for four months prior to and yeah, we did a lot of work in like the slums there with like some women's groups and stuff. So I'm I was pretty familiar with yeah uh, different contexts and stuff. So and when you when you land in a place like Zimbabwe, um, I you know like I've been to a couple different places where you're told okay in Canada U S you know you have a certain amount of rights. Okay, if somebody pulls over stops you and it's an authorities. They can't, we're talking whether they can come in your house, searches, whatever. You have rights, man. Like, you don't have the right to do this and blah, blah, blah. Like, and it's true, right? Like, you have, like, a lot of rights allocated. I've been to places, and I don't want to name drop, but, because um, people will be like, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But uh, we're, you're told before you get there, listen to me, my friend. Um, the rights you think you have, you don't when you go here. So if someone asks you for papers or someone, it's not going to be the same. Don't, don't act like you would back home, you know, or don't get like behave yourself a different way. Because if things go wrong, they go very wrong and nobody can help you. None of us. And we're coming, um, oh man, uh, we're coming together as a group and they're like, none of us can help you. Nobody can help you. You know, it'd be, it'll be like an international incident to get you the hell out of there. So um, when you were going there, is that the type of situation where walking around you realize, hey, I mean, I'm, you're a little bit vulnerable? Yeah, <laughs> I guess like a big thing, like our first trip together, John, um, was police bribes. Like you budget for police bribes every day if you're oh. trying to go somewhere to get like... <laughs> Yeah, like at least twenty dollars. Like, really, you just really. Pay them. If someone has a gun, like you're not gonna stand up to them. Like they'll take your license and stuff. When you get stopped, you pass them the money and you can go. And yeah, and it, <laughs> the police like make up all these dumb rules, so it it essentially is like a tax on the poor because you know if your car doesn't have you know traffic triangles, fire extinguisher, and, like, every week they're passing a new thing you have to have in your car, and if they stop you and you don't have it, you have to pay. And oh, so it's... like extortion! All, yeah, it's all these <laughs> stupid things, and it's like, you know, I don't, I didn't know I needed a kitchen sink in my car. Um, but it's... Yeah. And so, since then, 
I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it's changed when she goes back this summer um, to see if there's less of that with the new administration in or if it has come back full force or what's going on. But with, yeah, with a lot of like, the communities we work with, a big thing about um, safety and stuff is like getting acceptance by the community. Like the biggest yeah. um, protection is the community themselves. So where we work and staff, we're very accepted and <laughs> we've built yeah. a lot of that trust over like the past four years that John's been there. So when you first, yeah. when you first got there, how was it that you had to build the trust? Like what was their reaction to you when they see these people? How often do they see white people first off walk into their community? Cause I've heard, um, at my old job, I remember somebody who was, um, they were in like a church missionaries and they went to Africa and, um, the one guy was an older gentleman, had a gray beard, white guy with a gray beard. He said he went to a couple communities where the kids were like, first off, what the shit? This guy is white. Second off, yeah. his beard is gray. And they couldn't stop grabbing his beard, but they were like just like fascinated, touching him, grabbing his gray beard because I think where he was, there's not a lot of gentlemen in like 60 years old who are walking around gray bearded and right. white. So they like couldn't get over him. Um, immediately were like drawn to him. But what was their reaction in the communities initially when you got there? Well, I mean, for me, um, it's kind of funny. I didn't hear this story until like two years after I went. Um, but one of the first guys I met there right before I went to, you know, catch the plane back to the States, his name's Ndu. And, uh, you know, he got a picture with me and a bunch of the other guys there, I guess, made fun of him afterwards because they're like, this guy's never going to come back. Um, you know, why did you get a picture with him? And he's like, you know, I just have a feeling. And so, you know, part of that building the trust is just them knowing that we are dedicated to making that this happen and following through with the things that we say we're going to do. Um, and, and so, you know, year after year, it's just been an ongoing joke that we have kept coming back. And, you know, that original p picture now means a lot to all of us because, you know, we, we kept our promise in many ways. Um, when I went that first year, we were doing different sports things around the country, we did have kind of that interaction, like you mentioned, where we're up in the mountains and some of these people have never uh, seen white people in a very long time. And so the hair thing is a big deal, you know, seeing hair or different types of hair that they never normally see. Um, yeah, trust is, you know, it's, you know, trust comes with the community feature as well. You know, powerlifting is a strength sport. Um, and, you know, the strength sports build community at the baseline because you have to depend on one another. And so coming back to the country year after year has helped with that just as well as just the fact that there's a lot of respect within the strength sport community, whether it's powerlifting or, or other sports. And when you got there, did they have like sports leagues already in place? Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's why powerlifting is starting to grow a lot is because there has been like a common love of like strength sports. Um, that's what I discovered, like, in my research a lot. Like, I don't know, there's just, like, a common love of, like, lifting something heavy and just, like, physical fitness and being the best you can be. Um, even when I was doing some of, like, my background research, like, in some refugee camps and stuff around the world, people are lifting buckets and stuff and mm -hmm. have made makeshift bench presses or, like, lifting rocks and things that it's a special way to connect with people and build that community like John is talking about. So that's kind of been how Live for Life has been working with these communities to better 
their lives and build a support system and translated to like a lot of other things from what I um, uncovered in my research, for example. Um, it's addressing a lot of women empowerment issues because you can have um, women lifting as well. And so it's breaking a lot of stereotypes that way. Um, same with bettering people's health, um, addressing crime and drug abuse because now people have a community to go to and a space to be. Uh, same with employment and like livelihood opportunities. So a big thing um, within Lift for Life and how John has set it up is that the powerlifting equipment is built locally in the communities. Mm. So yeah, we work with like a local welder in the communities. Um, everything is bought in the communities and he builds it and then it's donated to the community for use. So not only is it benefiting um, the lifters and the whole community that way, but it's providing a lot of jobs where people need it most. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's true what you said. Um, everybody, like strength is universal. I, you could look, take a look at, at like a sport you're not accustomed to from whatever cultures and be like, okay, what's going on here? What's, what's the rules, you know, from this, from a football game to the second down, first down, whatever, what does this all mean? But when it comes to like, who's the fastest, who's the strongest, you get it. It's just it's universal. Perfect. It's simple. That's it. It's universal where everyone and and also in terms of, let's say you can't have a lot of goals, like job opportunities, etc., aren't really on the table, but you can still self improve. You don't have. Mm -hmm. There's not a school here. You're like I don't know. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels here, and I. I that's the worst thing for a human is no self improvement, no direction, and you're like give me something that I'm in charge of my destiny and I'm improving a little bit each day. And the beautiful thing about weightlifting, which like all powerlifters know, is you you are in charge. You got the wheel. Mm -hmm. What you put in, you get out. And you see a numerical value attached, and that's yours. You know, no yep. one else has to give that to you. You can improve your squat, whatever. You can improve. Like, you have something to keep working on. And um, it's, it's interesting, like, ex extremely, ex well, especially with women, like you said, who might be unempowered. It can help empower them as well. You know, yeah, in, in these communities. It translates to other areas of like their life too. So what happens in the gym, uh, they build the confidence in the gym, like um, <laughs> improving like your squat every week. It translates to life as well. Um, a good example of that is Audrey. Um, she saw me lifting my first time in Zimbabwe. Um, it's not normal for a little white girl <laughs> to just like <laughs> go into like these communities and like put a, whatever, 120 kilo squat on her back and have no problem with it. Yeah. So she was really inspired and she started with the bar and kept lifting little by little. And now she's basically running the Zimbabwe Powerlifting Federation. Oh. She's oh, wow. a big coach there. Yeah, she's been able to travel twice to international competitions in South Africa. She was the first female uh, lifter to compete under the Zimbabwe Powerlifting Federation at the African Arnolds. And she just got an invite again. So it's she's not only within powerlifting but she's becoming like a role model and leader for other women in her community too for example she's a single mom and she's proving to her daughter that like anything is possible yeah <laughs> she's gained and, a lot of respect from like other men in their communities as well and she's it's really cool she's see how she's done at the forefront helping make things happen yeah and putting yeah. things together what, yeah. what was what was the reaction to some of the men there when they seen you come in there and start throwing around weights and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, this is, this is more than I can move. And they may not be used to it. Over here, 
we got Instagram, social media. I see girls smashing weights all the time, right? Like we're we're used to. We're like, yeah, no shit, girls are strong. But over there, they might not be exposed to it, like you had said. Um, what was some of their reaction when they seen what you could do? Did it was yeah. it an instant credibility where it's like, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of like building the trust within the team yeah. and like working with them is like leading by example too and. Same with inspiring the other girls. Like, I have to be there lifting with them. But, yeah, lots of the guys didn't like it when I had really? initially. Them. Yeah. Like, they definitely walked out of the gym a few times. Really? Like, believe it. Or, yeah, it kind of got dangerous sometimes because some of the guys would try to put my weight on their back and they couldn't do it. But wow. They try and or some other dude, like, he was going to squat that day. He's warming up. You walk in the door. He's like, man, fuck this. I'm, I'm doing my bike today. <laughs> yeah. Squatting tomorrow then. Yeah. What, so yeah. What, what was their like gym equipment like? Was it, is it like, because uh, I guess you guys are there and you can bring ideas. Because I'm, I'm thinking like with the welder, would he know what he's building or did you guys have input helping them out? John has been a mastermind with that. Is that right? <laughs> so again, you know, Zimbabwe used to be like a really prosperous country. Um, and so a lot of the equipment they have is from that time period. So, you know, 80, early 80s, late 80s, roughly. And so they have equipment, but I mean, the stuff is just like really old. Mm. Um, and so from there, I literally just took some basic ideas of your typical bench, your typical like half rack, squat rack, uh, and kind of drew it up so that let welders could build the stuff. And I just sent you a photo, actually, of um, our new rack we had him build. We had the welder try to build kind of like a combo rack. Mm. Yeah, so we're really excited about it. It looks super yeah. cool. <laughs> it, like, so what was Zimbabwe like? Like, what happened? What What was it like before? And then what happened for the change? That, yeah, this is what happened here is how it's, how it's evolved over the last four years of this project. And how you're seeing it evolve now. If you give us a brief uh, rundown. I guess I'm glad I'm a history teacher. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but, like, again, you know, the country, the family I first met told me about how things obviously were very prosperous. And this was all the way up into the 2000s where things were going perfectly fine. And it was part of the whole, you know, world international, like, recession in 2008 that started taking things downhill. Um, and it's kind of like Zimbabwe never came out of that. And part of that has been due to corruption, like Nicola said. Part of it's, you know, there's been some politics with, like, kicking out farmers that used to own lots of land. And so it's a very in-depth story that has a lot going on behind the scenes that kind of keeps Zimbabwe where it's at, involving some international sanctions as well. Um, you know, the, the country has a lot of potential, I'd say the least. They could rebound very quickly if under the right leadership and sanctions were removed and so you know we, we don't want we don't want to make zimbabwe look like it's this place with only huts because uh, it's yeah. not um it just has a lot of potential a lot of you know natural resources there and whatnot but it just really needs some right direction so that recession even hit zimbabwe i didn't know that yeah holy yeah. moly this is like a worldwide global recession that yeah. hit yeah. But that's, I think, one thing that we're, me and John are working on, too, is building sustainability so that mm -hmm. we don't need to be there always, but helping them build the leaders locally and establishing the Zimbabwe Powerlifting Federation under the IPS. 
um, helping them organize meets and develop their own revenues, get local sponsors and stuff like that. And now they have, um, the welder has the designs for the equipment and stuff. Hopefully locally they can start um, taking it on and <laughs> basically we want to like work ourselves out of a job so that they can continue to be benefiting from powerlifting and we can still support them and things that we can move on to other communities that need it too. In other countries. So yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's one question I was just about to ask before you kind of went into that. So is there expansion plans or is there, what's the next steps for this? <laughs> yeah, um, over the past couple of months, I've actually won um, an award and grant, um, a $10,000 grant. So I'm actually planning to go to Kenya um, this summer and hopefully start Live for Life there. So start building relationships with the communities and hopefully identifying communities that could benefit from powerlifting and who would take it on and um, working with a couple of welders and stuff there. So, yeah. But I think even locally in North America, there's a space for powerlifting to build community and work with marginalized individuals who don't always have these kind of opportunities. Um, for example, I've been directed to um, some grants here in Canada that work on native reserves. I was just about to say, okay, yeah. Yeah. You, you go I, ahead, but I was, it's fascinating you just said that. You go ahead. Yeah. So that would be a very powerful population. Um, I'm also working um, on a project with prisoners' needs, mm -hmm. and somehow I see like powerlifting in the future too, um, as being able to address needs in that population as well, and just building a support system for people who need it most. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> there's something about like physical strength that translates to like. Mental strength. It, and does. Like it, it, yeah. it changes. Um, I think when you have a certain element of confidence and, um, you know, even like I had said, an element of taking control of one's destiny and yeah. improvement helps, yeah. helps somebody. When you don't have direction, you start channeling energy in negative ways sometimes. Yeah. When you have some yep. direction, it is huge. Yeah. Well, Not just for kids, for adults, man. That's, that's what happens. Well, and you see it so much in our sport where it takes... I mean, there's a lot of talk about it takes the broken and it gives them focus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, depression or whether it's some other sort of mental disorder or whether it's just poverty yeah. or anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Age, gender, yeah. appearance. Like we'll take you. We'll take we'll money. Give, it doesn't matter when you're yeah. under the bar. It's we'll just take like, whatever you want. And it's all about you as well. It's like mm -hmm. special. You know, it's uh, so what I was going to say when you had said I'm <clears throat> um, going on the reservations. Um, I had a friend of mine, Robbie, we know who does a lot of our mobility work. Um, so one of his, his close friends became a Mountie or no RCMP, sorry. And he's working on a, a reservation and he started, he was emailing Robbie back what it's like on these reservations. I don't know if it's might be the close similar in America, but eye opening to say the least. And it's hard for us to even realize like within Canada, they're living like a first world nation, like an underdeveloped. Um, I mean, they had one fire truck. It, it was looted. House caught fire and they just had to let it burn down. They have like a mattress on the floor. No, no drawers in their like no cupboard, uh, cupboards or whatever in the kitchen. Just like um, 
eye-opening. Like, you're, you're, some paramedics are like, I'm not going in. Someone that calls an ambulance, I'm not going in unless I have escorts, whatever. And it could be three hours. And um, whatever happens, happens. But I'm just, it's just a totally different situation than you would be used to if you took somebody, name the, name the place, Calgary, Toronto, and dropped them on the reservation. Shocked. Absolutely shocked that this is how it's going. And the answers aren't necessarily, you know, it's, it's hard. How do you fix these things, right? And um, so that's where, like, if anybody within our own country could use help, you know, some kind of source of, like, positive motion yeah, to gear right. towards. Like, I think powerlifting is a very it, strong tool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pun intended, strong tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's true because, um, like you hear, so one of the things uh, this gentleman had said was when they don't have employment and they don't have anything they're striving for, that's when you start getting into things like booze, drugs, whatever, and you just, the wheels fall off and you need something. And uh, in powerlifting, I mean, you don't need a team of people around you. You could do it solo. You could do it with a team. You could do it whatever hours you need to do it. You just show up and start moving some weight. It's uh, there's yep. something. So it's it is. It'd be interesting to see uh, what kind of challenges have you guys faced. What, what's like some of the bigger challenges you guys have faced trying to get this thing moving? I would say that picking Zimbabwe as the starting country has probably been the biggest challenge, uh, just because of their economic climate. It's hard to keep consistency. Our first welder we had just like dropped off the face of the planet, um, and so it's a lot of. I, I think as Lift for Life grows, it's going to be a lot of learning based on each country that we're in because each country has its own culture and background, um, you know, different motivations that pull people in different directions. Uh, and so the biggest challenge, I think, just has been the culture and the climate of things in Zimbabwe itself. Mm. But I think that shows, like, the need for it <laughs> in the country yep. within, like, I know my background is in like developmental work and stuff and those are the countries that you can't give up on and you just have to mm -hmm. keep going. So yeah. for those unfamiliar with Lift for Life, how big is the organization right now? Like, Well, for, for the first two years, it was mostly like me and a few friends. Um, we do have a, a good core group now. I think it's right around like six people um, that do work for us. But it's kind of like we're at the beginning of stages of something that could be a lot bigger. We just have to make sure that we're crossing all of our I's, uh, crossing all of our T's, dotting all of our I's, uh, and just you know setting up a foundation that can grow really well. Um, and you know that takes time. Um, a big part of nonprofit growth is through you know finding grants and work like that. And that's not something. You know, that's not my background, and so it's about getting people on board that help can help us in those different areas uh, to help us to continue to grow. Because the potential is there. Um, everybody loves uh, strength sports. There is a lot of community behind it. And, like, you know, people all over the world are lifting something. Mm, uh, yeah. And it, it's about that ability, as you said earlier, just to improve yourself that keeps bringing people to this sport um, from all walks of life. I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years um, and it has changed so much in those 15 years. Powerlifting or, or doing the... Yeah, power, powerlifting in general and strength sports in general, yep. Yeah. Wow, you're an OG in the game, sir. Uh, I, I, I feel like that sometimes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> an OG in the game at 28. 28? I just started yeah. doing the math. Holy moly, you started early. Um, yep. And, and in terms of this, have you guys ever 
because I also know like different cultures, different places, it'll it'll all change. But um, I know there can be resistance in certain situations. Like um, it depends. So I was at one uh, a few years ago. I was actually on a rally TV show, and we moved around different places, North America. And um, we did like like different festivals, right? And it was like a, a funny rally TV show. And one of them was a festival just outside of a native reserve. And um, it was like a First Nations festival. But, and we had some guides who were there with us. And I'm, I'm saying this because you, you might go on a, a reserve and do it as well. Um, and the guide said like, you will be absolutely fine during the daytime. And you'll be absolutely fine where you're, where you're at right now. But... Um, I would never allow you to come, like, they'll, they'll come out with dinner and drinks with us. But they said, you can never go on that reserve without me. And you sure as shit will never be there when it gets nighttime. And we're like, okay, yes, sir. Um, because there's, there's animosity in certain points. Or they just look at you differently. Um, and they'll look at you, uh, they, said, they said, particularly because I'm a male of a certain size, there could be a bad situation towards me. Um, and I don't have to say or do anything about it. Is there, have you dealt with any kind of resistance from a community who might look at you as an outsider and not totally be sure of how you're doing and not just somewhat standoffish, but it could be a little bit of aggression towards you? Or have you looked forward and said, you know what, we might, if we haven't dealt with it yet, it could be there because they don't know. They don't trust. They've been taken for granted before. I mean, I'm... Um, I, not a lot. I don't know. No? Yeah. But we, Mimi and John also work very hard. Like, when we go there, we live with the community. Yeah. <laughs> like, we live in that context without, like, the running water and stuff. Um, we do our best to understand them. Like, yeah, there's, like, a little bit of resistance and stuff, but it also doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's taken, like, four years and stuff and constantly going back and, like, living with them, talking with them, like asking them what they need, working with them. And yeah. It just kind <laughs> of moved. Even yeah, yeah. when I go there, like I usually stay with them and like travel with them and stuff too. And obviously I'm there to like help them and work with them and they know that too. So mm -hmm. they want to make sure I'm like safe and protected. And mm -hmm. I do rely on them quite a bit in terms of like language sometimes and yeah. stuff like that, like help me. But it's like a partnership and we work together. Now, when you go, do you always have like the same billet or sponsor that you stay with, or is it always different families within the community, or is it? It's been uh, mostly two different groups. Yeah. That we've stayed with. I've taken um, a couple different ones during my research because that was what it helped inform my research as well as like the observations and living with the community and like their context. <laughs> it's not always like easy, but. Uh, and I, there was lots of uncomfortable situations, but I learned a lot and it helped my research a lot. And they have to be willing as well. So it's kind of also who else offers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what do you mean? So like you, were you staying, where were you guys staying when you were there? Like with uh, like families who took you in or? Yeah. The, I mean, the first time I went was with the first and second time was with a family that kind of took us in. Um, and that was my first connections there. Um, since then, you know, as Nicole said, she stayed a lot with the community itself, which is Glenora, mostly with Audrey, and she did stay with other people during her research as well. And what was that like staying with a family that took you in? You would get a crash course real quickly how they live. 
Oh, yes. Like, it's like a little two-bedroom place that eight people live in. Holy <laughs> like, moly. Yeah, they gave up their bed for me. Whoa, really? Yeah. They were like, you take the bed, we take all, we all take the floor. Yeah, oh, like gosh. a coach or someone will move to the neighbor's couch. Like, Holy it's smokes. Like family and stuff. Yeah, some days, like, there wasn't water. <laughs> and yeah. you go somewhere else for water. There isn't always electricity. You just deal with it and that's what's special about our work is I don't know you can experience like the impact and positivity that powerlifting can be, bring to these people's lives so how close do you get with these families when you're literally living with them uh like Pretty I close. call Audrey my sister yeah you would <laughs> start like, feeling like family yeah yeah and they treat you like family like they would do anything for you and I would do anything for them and you have that kind of trust Coming yeah. back, do you stay in contact with these with the with the families? Is it like do they have um, you know access to internet to stay in contact via internet and social? Me- do they have social media as well? Yeah, WhatsApp. Yeah, like I'm in contact via WhatsApp daily with many of the lifters, with Audrey, with all of them. They actually send me their lifting videos all the time. Oh uh, wow! Like, with programs, stuff like that, with like their form, and it's really special being able to still have that community even across the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no contact all the time and so they, they, so they got like a hold of our coaching and everything as well then are you coaching them i i help a lot of the lifters yeah and like write them like programs and stuff um audrey is actually a sponsored athlete <laughs> uh, but yeah um meet squad in the usa gabby helped her at first and now she's just on with the strength guys actually yeah um but yeah some other coaches and stuff have given resources for programming and stuff. And that's not a small like team to have behind you would be the strength guys. They got like world champions that they're yeah. working with. So yeah. we, do, is there some prospects from Zimbabwe we should be looking out for? <laughs> or is it too early? Because they too, just yeah, like, lots of potential. Yeah. 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 And how did they, what kind of sports are big there? Are they, like, right now before you got there? What was their main sports they were already into? Soccer. Really? Lots of soccer. It's always soccer, right? The world, worldwide sport. In terms of sports where you need equipment and stuff, like, it's such an accessible sport for so many people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just need need a ball. You need a ball. That's it. Uh, Are they also into, like, athletics in terms of running? Um, I don't know. A lot, a lot of soccer, um, rugby at some of the higher end private schools. Yeah. And again, that's why powerlifting is good because there's no like, there's no background for it. And so we kind of set the rules and which is great. Whereas some of the other sports, you know, you have to be in a certain social class almost to participate. Yeah. Even like stigma wise or even like mon- there's barriers monetarily. You right. have to try to get involved on, on a, a team sport with some, like when it comes to equipment and whatnot. And that's why it's so the right. biggest, the hardest part about weightlifting would be the proper equipment. And you guys nail yep. that down. From there, they're off to the races. Yep. Essentially. So um, in terms of, uh, so you guys are thinking about in terms of moving forward in the future, um, North America w- with some of the reserves, um, Kenya. And is there, what's, what's the big goal do you think like five years, ten years from now, how do you see Lift for Life growing? 
where would you like this to start getting to? Have you guys even been with that, sir? I would just like to see it. And I mean, we've had since the beginning, we've had people reach out to us from countries all over the world who want us to participate and come to their country. And so to me, just having the ability to be in more places would be the ultimate goal because there's people all over the world who, you know, could benefit from the structure that we bring um, and how we can help them out with growing their strength communities. Mm-hmm. And that's probably tough too when you have like how many. Do you often get people saying, please come? Yeah, I mean, man, since the beginning, I've had people in, you know, South America to, you know, some Asian Pacific countries to, you know, all over the place asking us to come participate. And that's got to be toughest to be like, you have to choose. You know, you're helping, but on the flip side, you're like, I can't, you can't help everybody. Yeah, so that thing moving forward is like building more partnerships and like, relationships with companies that want to help out and like help us so like donations are obviously huge and enable which is something with, i wanted to ask with, about because you mentioned that the majority of your funding right now is from grants but uh not really no, <laughs> that's our that's our future goal our oh, okay sorry i just took that then but right now um it's mostly by donations as well as other motivated lifters who put on like little local fundraisers and stuff mm. so we've had a few um, gyms host charity meets, so where a portion of their meet fees go towards Lift for Life, and we then contribute it to um, lifters in need abroad and build gyms and stuff. Same with, um, we have some shirts, <laughs> some fundraiser shirts on our website, so a portion of all those go towards our cause. Uh, we're really open to lots of different collaborations. It, given that, how would if anyone listening, how can they <clears throat> either donate, buy a t-shirt, or get involved? Um, check out our website. Yeah. <laughs> and what's yeah. that website? Liftforlife-worldwide.org. Perfect. And this could be everything from donations monetary to like, if anyone like is a coach, Joey Flex is lifting and he's like, I'll take a couple guys on. I'll take a couple Zimbabwe prospects That'd on. That'd be cool. If anybody wants to sponsor athletes, like. Yeah. yeah. And what about things like I mean, since, since the beginning, we've had lots of people help us out from you know, Mike to share for a little bit to uh, Matt Gary with some things. You know, it, we've had a lot of people support us since the beginning. It's been about ultimately just the long-term vision and goal of keeping things going and just having the resources to do so. Mm-hmm. And what about things like sorry, to, but what about things like equipment donations? Like, is there a need for belts and shoes and all that type of thing? Yeah, but there is a bit of a struggle getting it over there. Yeah. <laughs> like shipping and stuff is just unreliable and way too expensive. So it would either be John or myself taking it, but taking over an extra bag is also very costly. Yeah. Yeah. So where your money goes the farthest is actually just donations where we can build it locally, create um, or purchase it locally to create employment and livelihood opportunities there and also purchase what is needed. For example, in the past I've got really weird sizes of shoes that were very yeah. worn. Like, it's very hard to take that to a community where everybody needs a shoe. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, but, uh, like, we've set it up where it's very uh, affordable to, like, set up a gym in Zimbabwe. For example, we can build a gym for, like, close to $2,000. Holy Which smoke. is nothing. Yeah. And it impacts these communities so much. 
it impacts the welder, it impacts the whole community to be able to lift. So yeah. a little goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so and, if anybody wants to even build a, their own gym, and, and what's some of the feedback? Make that happen for them. What's some of the feedback you've got from the communities in terms of like parents and whatnot coming up when their kids get involved? I mean, we haven't had a lot of backlash, I would say, at all. I mean, like, do you ever... Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Thank you. Like, my child has stopped doing drugs. They've found, like, friends. Uh, They found, like, a community. Like, crime has gone down in these communities. Like, it's a lot of positive. It must mean a lot if, like, a parent comes up and is like, you got no idea. This is huge. You know, like, just to see, I'm sure there's got to be a lot of positive feedback from a lot of parents and whatnot who see their kids with some kind of direction. Yeah. Um, quite a few of the kids actually are like our orphans too. Oh, in these wow. Communities. Yeah. Because of like the HIV AIDS epidemic and just in poverty and stuff, like parents can't support these kids. So they're living with someone else or something. And so it's even bigger for these children and yeah. impact on powerlifting becomes their family. Like the other lifters becomes their family. And so it's very, powerful and it's important that it's it so, continues something positive for them to grasp onto yeah, yeah. that's got to be tough when you leave eh? when you realize when you see all that you've seen you know and all that you know now about zimbabwe you probably you get home and it's probably i gotta go back i gotta keep working i gotta keep expanding yeah, yeah. john and i work hard behind the scenes <laughs> I bet. so is, I this, can imagine. is this like a full-time thing for you now then do you have like day jobs back at home to keep you afloat or can this is this a full time thing at this point? Well, for me, I'm a teacher, so that's my full time right. gig. Yeah. Um, Nicola, I mean, I, I think you got a job not too <laughs> yeah, long ago. I, yeah. I hustle in lots of different projects. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's tough. You don't make any money from this, nor does John. Like, this is their passion, and yeah. How amazing! Was- how amazing would it be if this non for profit, it could be like this what you did full time. I would love to see that to happen. Yeah. Your job would literally just be to float around the world and helping people. That's got to be the most mm-hmm. rewarded. It'd be tough because husband or wife would have to come with you because you'd never see them. Right. But yeah. um, is there work you can do while at home? Is this while at home? Is this where you're trying to lay the groundwork for when you go building like sponsorships, donations, etc.? Because not even just when you're there. Yeah, I mean most of that. Groundwork is all laid here. Um, Nicole works on tons of little side projects for it all the time. Yeah, for example, right now, um, I don't know if you know, but Kimberly Walford is actually coming with us next summer. I've seen that in your email, and that's huge. That's gonna... Yeah, so she's going to help train at our gyms and raise awareness to our cause. and uh, Not only raise awareness, but actually help the lifters in Zimbabwe and teach them and stuff like that. So it'll be huge. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot behind the scenes on that because we're taking a little outreach trip. So there'll be 12 other people coming. And so. I, I can't wait to like, if you capture their reaction to Kimberly when she starts throwing weights around. Yeah. It'll be like, so you know, like we go nuts. They'd be like, it's what special. the hell? Build it up. And at some point, the big climax, you bring Ray Williams. And they're like, what the shit? He's like squatting vehicles. And stuff. Like, how is this possible? They will fully buy in. Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit with weightlifting. Yeah, we got to get you there too one day. Well, hey, I was I was gonna say. So is that kind of another goal? Is to have more top lifters start joining in with this 
start doing seminars or like doing that sort of like travel and humanitarian work within? I mean, I think it would be a good way to keep it growing. Um, But we'll just, you know, got to see who wants to jump on board. Who wants to? It's, yeah. it's quite the always the leap of faith to participate. Because it certainly, it's a, yeah, because it certainly wouldn't help or hurt to have somebody a, like a Russell Orhi with two hundred and nineteen thousand followers. I was, just about, to, I was just about to say, like, um, yeah, it, powerlifting. It's weird because it's a niche sport, but damned if there isn't a massive following with some of these people. Right. Like it's right. just you can reach. You can't help but wonder how many people you could reach and how much good you could do with our type of reach when we pull it all together. Some right. people, like, you could easily Change reach the a, world. <laughs> you could easily meet yeah. a, reach a million people with five particular lifters. You know, one guy's got 200,000, a girl's got, how, like, a Steffi Cola's got half a say, million. Like a like, you get the right people, you could reach a million people like that, you know? And then um, in terms of donations, sponsorships, and people actually being... Involved. That's why when I seen this, I was like we got to get involved. We got to have you on. Yeah. Uh, when this episode drops, drop more material and post it and let people know what's going on. And maybe some people, hopefully, some people hear this and want to step up and get involved. Yeah. yeah we welcome anybody whoever wants to be yeah. wants to collaborate and other things. Where absolutely, is, it people makes the difference. Is there a Live for Life uh, Instagram yet? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hit me up from that and I'll share it. Uh, when I when I drop this episode to let everybody know they can follow these stories as well. And and when is the Kimberly Walford um, trip? Is that this summer then? It's in July. Yeah, July. Right after the World Championships. Yeah. And she's going to this one too. Yeah. It's good to have her back. That's that's right. What are you guys thinking about this World Championships? We get any powerlifting talk here? Are you guys are, are you going to the World Championships, Nicola? See what happens to Canadian Nationals. I was, yeah, I was about <laughs> to say a first. Shot for me, but my boyfriend has a decent shot, and whatever, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and how about and, and how about yourself? Do you guys both watch the worlds when they roll around? Yeah, I mean, I've actually met you before at uh, World Championships. Which one um, was that? I I think you were you were there in Canada, right? Yes, I was. Or have, yeah, and yeah. I think you've been at the Arnold before as well. Um, I've been to uh, like the last three world. Worlds, I was a commentary, right, and right, right. Um, and lifted at one. I wasn't at the Arnold, but it might have been another one of those. I've been on the U.S. a couple times, though. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I mean, like you guys, I can only get so much time off my day job. Yeah, and so when sure. I take, like, two weeks to commentate the World Championships, that's a huge chunk. And then, you it's know. time commitment, yeah. It is a big time commitment, my friend. People are like, are you doing Raw Nationals, like, U.S. Raw Nationals commentary or Arnold's? I'm like, man, my life would be nothing but. Like, I would have, uh, or it'd be more of the like, vacation than I even got. I wish. That'd be the life. But um, who are you guys excited to to see at the World Championships? Is there any, is there any like, showdowns you guys in particular are waiting for? Obviously, Kimberly's return to the 72s would be big. You got a bit of an emotional invested interest in that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with Taylor. I'm always excited to watch him lift. Yeah. Uh, seeing Eli Burks back at 105, that'll be pretty cool. These are all the strength um, guys. Yeah, but I mean, Eli, is, Eli has been on that level before. He took a couple of years off and came yeah, back, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see the uh, just all the commentating as well as the conversations around the new IPF formula as well. So yeah. it'll be cool to see how that kind of plays out this year. Yeah. How about yourself, Nicole? Yeah, I love it all. I don't know. I guess like it's a small. Yeah. Girl myself, I'm always into like the 52s, 57s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, most people, because yeah. you can relate and you could you could, you understand yeah. too as well. Um, now you mentioned you're going to be at Canadian Nationals as well in five weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there competing. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Who who's in that weight class? Are you in the? So you, so, yeah, you're in the open now. Yes, I'm 52 open, so it'll be Joanna Reber. <laughs> oh, she's strong. Tough, yeah. yeah, she's pretty strong. One of those yeah. masters that just doesn't age. Uh, uh, I love her though. I have so much respect for her. She's such yeah. a role model for me too. Yeah. Like, Especially, I, everyone roots for those people who, like, their masters but stay in the open and just refuse to go away. You know, those, yeah. like, like, the David well, Rick style. Yeah, they have no reason to go away. Yeah, exactly. That strong. Yeah. If you could hang. How do you guys feel about the new um, IPF formula? I don't know if you've tinkered with it, but um, I think we had Nathan Tannis on last, and he was saying Ray Williams went from number one to, was it not even in the top 100? Yeah. That's what I didn't run the numbers myself. I didn't see it. But Nathan Tannis from Australia said, I don't, he doesn't know, like, I, I myself, for a long time, it would be like, if you were a super heavyweight man, um, and you were an 83 kilo, like, you were going against 83 kilo men, you were almost always going to win regardless. Like, if a super heavyweight showed up, like, all right, you win, that's it, doesn't really matter, right? Um, so this one, it's definitely shaking things up, but we don't know yet how it's going to look. Like, there yeah. may be biases on this one, too. I'm not a big stats yeah. guy. I took stats in university, but I went to school for marketing, so it was one of the classes I had to take. So I don't know exactly how it's going to shake up, but I'm interested. But I didn't super like the Wilkes. What do you guys think about this new one? Honestly, I'll just wait to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see what everybody's conversations are afterwards. How about yourself, Nicola? It, like, it doesn't impact me that much, but it is kind of weird to think about it sometimes. Like, for example, I think of Canada and, like, Kelly Bratton, like, Everybody always wants a photo with Kelly Bratton, like he's the best, he's yeah. the best out there. And suddenly, with this new formula, he's not anymore. So it's like yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, you I don't know. Know. like my whole my whole past lifting experience was fake almost. He's a bum. What is he? He's a bum now. I don't even want to know. Everybody's gonna be photoshopping Kelly yeah. for like Adam Ramsey so or something. and everything. But with this new formula, suddenly it's just different. It is funny, like. Here's, here's what I think, though. In terms of, like, those heavyweights, because you're absolutely right. Those guys always won in every nation or at the Worlds. But at the very least, Kelly Brand's going to be the strongest guy in the room and the strongest guy in the building and the strongest guy in the country. So he doesn't really super need a formula to, like, help him feel good pound for pound. Like, oh, you're pound yeah. for pound the best, too. He's like, well, but, but I'm also just straight up the strongest. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in terms yeah. of ultimate force. So he's probably okay. Same with, like, Ray, where it's like, how will Ray feel dropping from 100, or sorry, number one to like 100? At the same time, Ray's like, I'm also the strongest man in the world. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, all right. yeah. I'm all right. Let the formulas go to the smaller people who are trying to feel good and be like, hey, pound for pound, I'm not bad. All right, cool. Because you know, honestly, Ray doesn't eat everything. You know what I mean? Like, Ray, Ray Kelly doesn't eat everything. He's the strongest guy. You know, it's all good. Someone else can have the other title. So I think he'll be set. In terms of like, but I know what you mean where it changes history a bit. Because when you roll back, we were talking about like Jesse Norris, for instance. Um, we were talking like, is he, the, some people are like, oh, he's the greatest of all time. I was like, well, how can he be the greatest? Never won a world title, etc. And then now when you run this formula, he's got the highest total, or sorry, like points of all time, regardless of who it is. And it's like, well, it just rewrote, rewrote history, like you said. Like you can literally rewrite history if you start looking at this. 
Yeah. So I guess we'll see how it shakes know, as out. As a middleweight class, I love the fact that I might have a chance at a best lifter now. But yeah, every now and then. It's, a, it's yeah. a little bit self-serving for me. I guess we'll have to see how it shakes out. There's always, like you yeah. said, like you guys said, it's always like give it three, four years. Something, someone will be like, we got to do a new formula. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, listen. Um, thank you very much for coming on. We're running about an hour oh, fifteen. Thank you. Uh, is there anybody you guys want to thank that we have you on right now before we let you go? Uh, honestly, just thanks to all the people who have given over the years. Uh, it's really been through their um, just giving and as well as the hard work of many people participating and helping out that's helped us grow. And the strength guys for <laughs> suggesting us to be here, and they've been a long-time supporter of Lift for Life as well. They yeah. contribute monthly, and yeah, they have a whole coaching for a cause program where a portion of all their athlete fees go towards Lift for Life, which oh, is pretty no cool. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, listen, guys, thank you for coming on and for everything you guys are doing. It's like a breath of fresh air because sometimes in powerlifting, um, like we're so social media driven, our sport, and you see troll jobs and negativity, and this is such a breath of fresh air where people, young people, are taking an initiative and literally being the change they want to see. So thank you yeah. for doing what you do and thank being you. involved with the sport and coming on the show. Yep, thank you. Yep. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Peace. Bye. Bye. Yeah, well, there you go. Some people actually doing some positives out there. I like to see it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I said, I was excited oh. for this one, and more so even after listening to them and hearing your expansion. It's personally it's, like, I want to get involved and help. It is like, it's, um, yeah, you, you can't help it. Like, wow, that, how, because the um, knowing you're doing good and helping out. And it's impacting for real, impacting communities. Well, and as you also mentioned, you kind of touched on, like, powerlifting as it's become with social media, it's almost become such a me-first sort of yeah. community in a lot of ways. It's a lot of ego-driven. And it doesn't Whereas have to it's just Whereas it's so that. good to see it finally get pushed out in a positive light yeah. and they, you know, trying to make something else out of it. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. And the fact, I can't believe these guys are... So Nicole's twenty four. He was he's twenty eight. He was twenty four when he started. I yeah. think or twenty three. Like at that age, like the maturity and like you know the hoops you got to jump through to set these things up. It doesn't. There's a lot of work behind this. You know, there's yeah. a lot of work. Oh, I couldn't imagine the work that actually goes into starting a nonprofit like this, and not even just starting it, but having the vision to kind of start in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Start like right now. Start from scratch. Me and you in this room. Change a community's life. On the other side of the world, go. It's like, what the fuck? Where do I start yes. with that? Hey, I wasn't joking. When, when I said at 24, I'm pretty sure I was just starting to learn like how to you take care of myself. Let getting alone. drunk and what? Yeah, like yeah. you're just do, living life. And by you take know, care of myself, I mean in the basicest of sense of I didn't allow myself to die. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable stuff. That's why like you got to champion this and tell this story. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine, I want to get like more footage and more like the impact of uh these communities you know and 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 get a full feel like i want you know what i mean like i'm hungry to hear more yeah to hear more of the footage like it just be like just to see their reactions when they show up and start showing them and and seeing these people progress you know when when i first came here you know that that shy kid who was uncertain it's like who is this person yeah i I don't fully understand them. language barrier all types of barriers exactly and, and, and they have no background in what you're trying to show and them. And we were talking about things that I would want to watch in terms of like a video log or, you know, yes. even a podcast. That's it. 
I would, log in that I would love to see yeah. more media coverage of a, something of one of their events. And, and, and or even like a you know, just to use the term like a thirty and thirty sort of situation of yeah their entire time over there the four weeks they spent yeah. in Africa video log it and then you could condense it the top highlights into a thirty for thirty yeah. and you could show like show me like you know that kid show the that Kimberly started Crawford off seminars and, and show the kid who started off shy uncertain about you uncertain about the whole thing and then in the end you know the chest out taking you know chest full of pride yeah. like just change that person. That's impactful, man. I love that stuff. I love seeing that kind of stuff, Same. you know? Um, like, you know what's happening, but sometimes just even for over here, when I see that, it'll help my day. Be like, hell yeah. There's yeah. some positive out there. Because sometimes when you're on, like, social media, and just, like, some people want attention for being troll jobs and just being douchebags, and, like, that's how they get attention. It's like, it can wear you down a little bit. It can. Uh, and, some I mean, people- you hear about it so often on Facebook and now with Instagram, Instagram in Twitter. terms of just people showing the best parts of their life and it causing depression and anxiety and you or know even, all these different social stigmas or even just like so there's that but I was taking another direction where like people who are leaving negative comments being shitty yeah. to get attention and some people actually like I fucking deleted my Instagram I deleted my it's just too much it's yeah. too much bullshit it's too many people being negative and I'm getting wrapped up whereas something like this you know, I would actually see and be like, like remember we had um we had on it wasn't you weren't on this show, but um the Iranian Iran's strongest man, who's also won the Asia strongest man yep. title. Uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but um, I'll leave it at that because I, I don't want to butcher his name. But yeah, I recall the episode though. And he came on, and we'd shown videos. There was a part of Iran that had a massive earthquake, and they lost everything. Okay, we're talking like. You know, mudslides to like uh, water's gone, electricity's gone. He showed up with a truck full of supplies himself. And here is the Iranian Superman. The people, they won't even see him on TV. They just heard about his legend. Did you know that he could pull planes, flip cars? And they hear about him in these villages like he's like a mythical, okay? And they never seen him in real life. And when this disaster hits and life is upside down, and you're looking, give me something. Give me some hope because, my God, I'm, I'm... He shows up with a fucking truck and starts firing off goods and supplies to people, walking in the community, lifting up kids, arm wrestling kids. And it's like, when you see those videos, my friend, you're like, yes. Yeah. Yes. I see now. I was like, he's coming on the show. I, I, I had to get a fucking interpreter. I don't speak... I, I don't speak... Um, Iranian or, or I forget I, Iranian Dude, might you be barely a, speak English we believe okay it. but uh, I think I, I forget what uh, language I we speak in Iran but anyways yeah. I think I an interpreter and everything but I was like Let's, we gotta make it happen done yeah. it has to happen because I want to hear this guy's story phenomenal story I love this kind of stuff you know we're like giving people that kind of hope yeah and these are the episodes that I and we've talked you and I have talked about yeah. these are the episodes I love like I love interviewing the top talent in our sports yeah. and hearing about how they got involved yeah. But it's episodes like this that make me want to get involved. Yeah, yeah. Get back, man. Yeah. So many people don't. Everybody, like, I think too many people want to be, like, the Conor McGregor of, of powerlifting. Yeah. It's like, you're not Conor McGregor. You're just a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> you're not coming off the way you think you are. Yeah. You know? You know what I mean? Just, instead of trying so hard being it's, a douchebag, try hard to do some good yeah. and help out. You know, I hate dropping posts and having to moderate... So people aren't being mean to other people and I got to delete comments and be like, my God, man, like I'm at work 
my day job, and like I gotta like keep running to the bathroom and scrolling to moderate. So, do you guys have to do? I was this? gonna say your poor work probably thinks you have some sort of like IV, irritable <laughs> like, bowel syndrome or something. They're like, God, Ryan's such a soldier to keep soldiering through every it's, day. He's he's got to be fighting some kind of. The man's going to shit himself time ten times a day. <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? Where um, yeah, but I can't. You can't let it. Get, you can't just let the few um, shape your idea of this yeah. platform. When you start saying like um, Instagram's evil, Twitter's evil, social media's evil. Well, no, no. You let you let a couple dickheads change your view of something, and that's too bad because there's people like John and Nicola who are like, "What can I do that's positive?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some bullshit out there. Yeah, but you're not looking at it right. No, you're, you're looking at the wrong content. That's right. Or looking for the wrong content. One hundred percent. Surround, like, highlight the positive and walk towards the light. But you know what I mean? If you yeah. just, if you have a shitty comment and let it run your day, and um, and yeah, these tools can be. Man, we're we're trying to profile people from all over the world. Have people on the show doing good, whatever. It can be done, you know. So, anyways, for anybody listening, here's a little call to action for you. Um, not only get involved with Lift for Life or whatever kind of things like this in your community, but do something good for powerlifting in general. Give back. Um, and, and to use powerlifting to do it, something you love, perfect. Because yeah. it, it's easily done. Sometimes you're like, where do I start? How do I even get this ball rolling? You probably have a gift. Like your knowledge of powerlifting could just be all you need to do to give. Yeah. Simple as that. That seems, su- it, that seems super it simple. It doesn't have to be something like this. It could just be like reach out to that one guy in the gym that you know just just started lifting and yeah. needs some sort of guidance or needs a friend to keep him there. I, I done, um, man, I went to like cancer camp for kids towing school buses. Yeah. Um, and every week went to a new city, a new cancer camp for kid, gave him a speech because I do motivational speaking and towed a 26,000 pound school bus and said, keep fighting. If I could do this, God knows what you could do. That's all, all I got is strength and speaking and the kids get blown over. Holy shit! What I just saw. That's all that kid needs. You'd be surprised. This girl was talking about Nicole Sarma going into like the reservations and showing them, um, and just like whatever, throw the risk aside, throw whatever stigmas you got aside. Walk into somebody like a place you think they need it. Like, Let me help you. All I got is my knowledge of powerlifting. That might be all I need. It might be all. I need. Let me yeah. give you this gift. You take with it what you will. Talk to twenty people. Fifteen might not use it. Five might. And that's, a, you know, and from there on, that's, that's yeah. it. From there on, they're like, yeah, I remember so-and-so. I still remember in the 90s, George Chevalo, uh, he fought, he was a boxer in the 70s. Canadian heavyweight champion, fought Muhammad Ali twice. The only guy who go to distance with Muhammad Ali twice. He also fought George Foreman, Joe Frazier, whatever the shit. And I still remember when he came to my school and talked to us. And it was, like, I'll remember for the rest of my life, man. That's in the 90s, as a teenage kid who was, like, unreachable. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah. You, you don't know when you walk into a room and they know who you are and what you've done. There's going to be a few people in there who are going to remember that forever, man. Anyways, um, so please share this. Share in your Instagram stories. Um, contact Lift for Life or, and just like become part of the, the solution. And don't become part of the problem and, do, and be a troll. From Six Pack Lapidat. Paul Moranzan underscore lifts. Hope you enjoyed the show. God knows we did. Peace.